0: And we're live. Okay, so this is episode one of the Vrilcast, Nose Tail Provisions podcast. Your screen just got obscenely blurry. I'm looking at like one pixel right now. It says the actual <laughs> higher quality, so I think we're good on that. Okay, so I'm Mike. I'm Matt. Yeah, and we're obviously brothers. We started Nose Tail Provisions. We sell... Basically our goal is to sell the most high quality snacks possible, things that we would actually eat. And in this case it's like wild game organ crisps is the we recipe we the best came up with. Thing,
1: bison liver and liver snack on the market. Hands down. It's addictive, yeah. has an amazing taste. Try it out guys if you haven't already.
0: Yeah, I mean it's the best, that's a fact for sure. But what we really aim to sell is stuff that we would actually eat. We're very particular about our diet. And we basically want this first episode to be how we got here. A lot of trials and tribulations, a lot of serious health issues that basically led us to being very selective and meticulous about what we eat and how we healed from all these health issues and how that translates to the business we started. Yeah, we are kind
1: of run down exactly how we came to this path with these health issues specifically kind of like a life story background
0: yeah life story background that eventually led to the conception of nose tail provisions so i guess unless yeah unless you have anything else to add i could probably start it off no no go ahead start it off okay so i guess i'll just freestyle this so as a kid i was actually i was never fully healthy I got diagnosed with asthma at three years old. And from what our mom tells us, I literally had to go to the hospital and they had to inject me with prednisone, I think, the steroid. And all throughout my childhood, I suffered with asthma, uh, like on a consistent basis, but it was never something that impacted my life. Like I knew it was there, I knew it was gonna come in, I knew it was gonna trigger it, like cold air, laughing, weirdly enough. Uh, certain Uh, locations. Cut you off really quick. I remember
1: this childhood uh, friend we had, her name was Mona. And we used to go to their their house all the time for family dinners or family lunches, just meetups in general. And they had a basement and they had a dog down there and Michael's asthma would flare up. So they just never let him into the basement and all the other kids sometimes (laughs) go into the basement and our mom just never allowed him to go because it would flare up his asthma.
0: Yeah. Mom was definitely a bit misinformed about what was causing the asthma, but locations definitely flared up. So all throughout my childhood, I had this, but it never impacted my life in any way. I felt totally normal. But there was this always this feeling like I was kind of on hard mode, like I was playing life on hard difficulty. There was things in the background that just kind of led me to feel worse overall. But the asthma, it was a very small factor in that. And that actually went away for the most part, but even till college, like, I think my asthma finally went away when I graduated college. And I'm like, I'm 23. Now I'm two years out of college and it's pretty much gone, but that's how long I was with it. Now, asthma was not the main issue, it was just the first issue. And uh, I wonder where I want to go with this. So The next issue that I had was around, I I would always have these health things come up that it felt like other kids just didn't have. Like it goes with the same principle of playing life on hard difficulty. Like there was just these weird obstacles. So when I was 14 or 15, I got this huge flare up of like mouth ulcers, which was super weird. Like no one knew what it was. I had to go to a bunch of doctors for it. Like specialists, mouth specialists. uh, I don't even remember because that was almost 10 years ago at this point. But no one knew what it was. And it wasn't like a normal sore you get when you bite your cheek or something. It was like 30, 40 at once, all in my mouth. It was painful to eat. I was already very skinny. Pretty much everything in my life caused me to be very skinny. Every factor and force possible. Uh, And eventually, after trying a bunch of like weird treatments that all didn't do anything... My primary care doctor just gave me like a five or six day course of prednisone. And weirdly enough, after like two years of suffering with those mouth ulcers, the prednisone cleared it up in like five days. And at the time, I had no clue what that meant. I was just happy to have gotten rid of it. But I know now that that meant my immune system was messed up because the prednisone suppresses the immune system and then the mouth ulcers went away. Um... So that was, I suffered with that for about two years alongside with the asthma. But overall, as a kid, I was very active and I guess to this day, and I loved sports. So it's not like I had sort of the most Western lifestyle where I was just eating nothing but processed food and sitting and playing video games. I was always active. I, the first thing I ever did was I played soccer. My parents signed me up for that. I know they signed you up as well. Soccer in, like, loose terms because we were, like, five. Uh, But then the first thing I actually did myself was I skateboarded, and I would skateboard every single day for several hours. I could still do a kickflip. I could still do a varial kickflip. I got pretty elite at it. So I was always active. Then after skateboarding, I picked up basketball, and I loved basketball. Same thing. I played basketball for several hours every single day. After school, after middle school, high school, so the activity was always there and then after basketball I started going to the gym. So then I pretty much I started with skateboarding, replaced that with basketball, then replaced that with lifting and training. So the activity was always there. It's not like these health issues kept me out of it. But they started to pile on and take a toll. So the next thing that happened was I started to get severe acne and Obviously, with acne in America, we know now why the acne was coming, and it's because I was eating fast food like two to three times a day, a bunch of other toxins, vaping, to be honest, um, probably this, a lot more than I'm just forgetting.
1: At this point, you were also around the 17-year-old age, so you were trying to start up a bulk because you were working out. So, your diet was mainly cons- uh, consistent of these ultra-high-processed, high-calorie foods. Like, I remember you'd eat KFC
0: and anything yeah. around in the high school area. I would eat KFC every single day, protein shakes, protein bars. I would eat, like, a whole box of Kraft mac and cheese post-workout at my house when I was bulking. Just mm-hmm. not a single thing I was eating was real food. Even the real food I was eating that mom would cook and stuff was fried in seed oil. Yeah. So, inadvertently, yeah. was bad. Yeah. yeah, inadvertently like seed oil, panko, breadcrumbs, etc. And so at seventeen I started to get this acne, severe acne that we know now why I got it. And then in America they treat acne. It's like clear what they do. First they give you creams, creams don't work, they put you on Accutane. So I took Accutane. The Accutane was very hard for me to get through. The side effects were very severe. But eventually I got through I think I was on it for either six or eight months, I don't remember. And then after Accutane, I sort of had a grace period of like half a year where I was just dealing with the usual stuff, asthma, some eczema, dandruff, etc. But then the real problem started. So at this point, I was a sophomore in college. And out of nowhere, I never had stomach issues in my life, surprisingly, like at all. I had like a strong stomach. As far as I can remember, I never thought about it. Before you continue this, um, were there
1: any side effects you felt from the Accutane itself? Because it does impair liver function. It really messes you up. So while you got blood work on Accutane, did you get see any side effects, anything
0: like that? There was a lot of side effects, but the blood work was always 100% normal. So my liver enzymes were always normal. They were always normal anytime I got blood work. But the side effects were pretty severe. Obviously, the dry skin, severe fatigue. I stopped working out because I was on Accutane. Like I, I would go to the gym and just gas out instantly. Uh, severe fatigue, dry skin, dry like skin inside the nose, so it was sort of hard to breathe. Your nose congested. You should also
1: mention that you did have a
0: deviated septum. <laughs> yeah, I had a deviated septum. I think that. We could save that for a different episode at this point. I'm just trying to go yeah. through the autoimmune issues. So to
1: kind of catch people up, uh, after Michael did take Accutane, he was an avid lifter in high school. He would work out every day. I remember him uh, pretty much literally just working out every day. And he went from being a very religious person in the gym to kind of just losing the weight and kind of reverting back to his old pre-gym self while he was in college. Like I think he went from... What weight were you when you were working out? And then what weight did you drop to
0: starting sophomore year college, junior year college? If I had to take a guess, I went from the low 160s to low 140s. Very skinny at the time. Yeah. So
1: 140
0: at 5'11". Pretty skinny. Yeah. That's like my baseline pretty much. But the... The body composition at that one forty in college was really bad because I was eating nothing but fake food and not working out. Mm-hmm. So yeah, at this point I'm in sophomore year. I got off the Accutane like half a year ago. Still dealing with asthma, eczema, dandruff, etc. Like weird issues that come up, but nothing too severe. Uh, and out of nowhere, I I had this really bad case of the flu that I got over. And, like, two weeks after the flu, I start having these digestive symptoms that I never had before. It was, like, severe digestive symptoms to the point where something is definitely wrong and I have to go to the doctor. Uh, diarrhea, like, 10 to 15 times a day. Severe stomach pain. Yeah. Record numbers. <laughs> Leaderboard numbers. Uh, in the world really? Sure. It just started with that severe diarrhea and severe stomach pain. And I went to the doctor at college. He was like, give a stool sample. I was like, okay, that's really weird, but I'll give a stool sample. Uh, and whatever he was looking for in the stool sample didn't come up. He was like, I can't help you here anymore. You have to go to a specialist. Same exact time the C word started, and I had to go home from college. And then it kind of worked out because I went home, and I was able to see a specialist in New York City, which is where we're from. And yeah, long, long story short, after a bunch of tests, he was like, yeah, you have Crohn's disease. And that Crohn's disease is what I've been struggling with ever since. It's been four years at this point. And pretty much that is what pushed me in the direction of, okay, the medications, they put me into clinical remission, but the symptoms were still there. So I was like, what is going on? These doctors saying like, I'm helped. The the Crohn's disease is gone. The remission is there. They can't do anything more for me. I have to somehow figure out a way to help myself. And it was really like my hand was forced. I didn't want to stop eating out. I didn't want to stop eating the things I was used to for 20 years, but I had to. It came to a point where I went to the emergency room. I was in pain. And they were like, yeah, you're actually all your blood markers are normal. You're in remission. After that, I went on a strictly animal-based diet for the first time in my life, it was actually strict. And I stopped eating out fully. I stopped eating anything that was off diet fully because it was the only thing I could see at that point that hasn't been tried, that might've actually helped. And that's when I finally was able to start getting better. It it took a while, like it takes, you take 20 years to mess yourself up. You're not gonna get better in a few months.
1: Yeah. I, I think-
0: can... I Go ahead. What?
1: Uh, I was just gonna say for people that don't know, cause uh, like I obviously didn't know what 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 are the Crohn's disease medications? I know they're a needle, but like, can you go more into it? Like, what does it make you feel? It's pricey, that's for sure.
0: Yeah, I feel like is that in the scope of this episode, or do we want to make a whole different episode for medications?
1: I mean, you can kind of give a brief overview because it's a lot. Like, like for my, for I'm gonna go into this later, but like my medication is a lot different than yours. Yours is like a lot more like intense. So they just kinda of give like a brief overview of like what it entails. And <laughs> like some side effects. Nothing crazy.
0: Yeah, so for Crohn's, they start you with uh tablets. I think they started with Pentassa. Those don't work quick if you have a severe case of disease. So those didn't work. And then they try some uh steroids called budesonide, which is not nearly as bad as prednisone, but also not as effective. Because taking prednisone is just awful for you. So they don't even do that anymore, I think. Uh, But does not didn't work. So that's when they put you on what's called biologic medication. And that's like heavy duty injectable medication. Uh, There's a bunch of them, but the newer ones are like Humira, Stelara. And those put me into remission, like clinically, according to the tests. But the symptoms were all still there. And keep in mind, at the time, I was still eating standard American diet. So that's kind of the lever I had to pull to sort of see the symptoms go down. But that, yeah. that's like a brief overview.
1: That's One of the main problems with just the modern healthcare system, like instead of you, instead of you going into the doctor and presenting them with stool samples and a bunch of issues on um, exactly what you feel, instead of asking them what your daily, instead of them asking you what your daily day is, what your day to day is, what you're eating, your lifestyle habits, they kind of just think exactly what to prescribe for you to make you feel better. And all of it just comes down to being a Band-Aid solution instead of an actual, like, sealing the the hole in the dam. Like, they yeah. don't tell you to fix your lifestyle. They don't t- ask you if you're sedentary. They don't ask you if you're eating processed foods or anything that inhibits cardiovascular health in general. Like, in your case, they just got you straight on
0: medication and in my case as well. Yeah, the... I've I've been to so many doctors at this point, and the most questions I've gotten about lifestyle is like I think only one doctor ever asked me anything about lifestyle, and it was my first Crohn's doctor, and he asked if I eat a lot of candy and told me that sugar is bad. Which he was right about that, but that was literally the extent of it in my entire life. But just so this doesn't get derailed, I sort of gave my brief history. Do you want to give your brief history, what kind of kid you were? Because it's very different from mine. And then we could sort of use that to briefly explain how we got into this whole lifestyle.
1: Yeah, for sure. So where should I start? I guess I'll start as a kid. So kind of growing up, uh, my brother and I, we had very similar childhoods. You know, it was the normal brotherly dynamic kind of. We would fight and stuff, but do things together. So I was never really an athletic kid. I was kind of more chubby always. So I never got into sports as much. I did have growing up the first kind of like medical issue, like you spoke about, is I always had eczema, dandruff, and psoriasis growing up. Uh, and that's mm-hmm. just from, like you know, just normal environmental toxins, our eating. And that's just kind of persisted with me throughout the whole, throughout my whole like journey. And it never, it was never just a big deal. Like my scalp would get itchy if I let it grow too much. And also at the same time. My parents were buying us just, you know, normal shampoo and conditioner with a bunch of phthalates, fragrances, sulfur, because they did immigrate to the United States, were Ukrainian and Belarusian, so they didn't really know any better, Mm -hmm. and it was what was cheap at the time, and I was eating home-cooked meals that were, you know, inadvertently bad for us because they were filled with seed oils, so uh, growing up, I never really enjoyed sports. Uh my parents would sign my brother and I up for soccer when he was around 7 and I I'm 2 years 9 months and
0: younger. Yeah, let me let me just right. interrupt real quick. I think that was the main difference between the two of us is that I really really enjoyed sports like every single day for several hours and I don't think you ever did.
1: Yeah, I never enjoyed sports. I was always like a video game kid. I enjoyed sitting and like doing doing <laughs> not non-physical activity a lot more than actual physical activity. So soccer never like hit for me. Uh, I never wanted to do that. And the first, so my main issue in life is rheumatoid arthritis uh, at a very early age. So the first kind of like sign, you could say, that I had rheumatoid arthritis was when my brother would play basketball. I'd always come with him whenever he'd go to practice. And Mm -hmm. I was never athletic, so I could never dribble. For those that know basketball, I could never dribble. I never had any handles. So I'd always shoot. And I'm right-hand dominant, and that's the hand that's primarily affected for my rheumatoid arthritis. So whenever I'd shoot, I'd get a pain. And they'd always make fun of me. They'd be like, bro, you suck at shooting. Why are you always shooting? And I'd get the <laughs> ball. The first thing I'd do is shoot. i never try to drive. Hey, you
0: never were good at basketball.
1: Yeah, so whenever I'd shoot with my right hand, I'd just get a searing pain in my elbow. And then after a couple of times, i just stopped shooting, and I'd just, just completely stop playing basketball. So during my... So, that was my first, like, actual, like, you know, sign that something is wrong. Let me ask
0: you this. So, yeah, that was the first sign. But at what point did you think, because it was probably going on for years before it got addressed. At what point did did it cross your mind that something is seriously wrong?
1: Yeah, so I actually remember the exact time that something crossed my mind. So, the basketball thing, that was happening all throughout late elementary school, early middle school. So, I was around age, Mm -hmm. like eight to 12. The first time that my hand became a serious issue to me was around ninth grade. I remember in right before class, I had first period social studies, my right arm locked in a position and hurt so much to the point where I was like begging my mom or mom uh, not to go to school because I was, I was in like searing pain. And my mom, mm-hmm. like you know, no, no mom wants to think that their child at age 14 has rheumatoid arthritis. It's just not, it's, yeah. like, it's an old person's disease. It's not something that a lot of kids ever have. At that point in my life, I was also not able to fully straighten my arm. Uh, As I lo I don't have 30 degrees of full elbow flexion in my right arm and like 10 degrees in my left. So that was already happening at the time. But my parents just thought like, you know, it wasn't a thought to them to think that their child has rheumatoid arthritis.
0: So the first There's time, a lot of denial because it's like very hard to accept. It's not even on purpose.
1: Yeah. It's not like they were trying to like, you know, have ill intent. But the first yeah. time I genuinely realized it was a real problem is that I was still forced to go to school that day. And I was sitting in my first period of social studies class and just messing with my elbow. And it was in so much pain. And I moved something right around my like right elbow area. And it just seemed mm-hmm. to be a lot. And it felt like I moved bone pieces. So that's when mm-hmm. it first, like I was like, something's genuinely wrong. So I brought this yeah. up to me and I wanted to go to the doctor. And this is a funny story, this is like the <laughs> the, the current healthcare system kind of in in a whole. We go to this, um, I forgot the name of him, but he's just kind of this uh, like physical therapist doctor in um, Staten Island, where we're from. And just a little background, my brother and I, we played piano growing up, right? So at that mm-hmm. point, we played piano for around eight years, nine years, We I started when I was six and we go to him and i present my problem to him he sees i can't straighten my arm i tell him about the searing pains i get and he says okay okay looks at me he doesn't take any x-rays he doesn't schedule an mri he looks at my mom was like anything that you uh your son did while he was growing up my mom said he played piano he looks at me He's like yeah you can't bend your arm and you have pain because you played piano for that long and i i i instantly like was like you know a doctor is a figure of authority for me at that age i'm 14 i'm like yeah I'm- more than me so we go into the car and i'm like i start like hyperventilating and i look at my mom like why did you make me play piano for that long like my heart is permanently destroyed because i played piano and obviously like my mom was like that doctor's crazy doesn't know anything (laughs) and i'm like he's a doctor you're telling me this doctor's wrong it was literally like blowing to me to think that how
0: can a doctor be wrong that's crazy right
1: yeah that's literally what was going through my head and i was like having this like I was fourteen, I was going through puberty. I was having this freak out on my mom. I'm like my my that's it, my arm's done forever, but no, obviously that wasn't the case. My mom knew uh she's a stern woman she like obviously knew that piano, she played piano, our grandmother played piano, my mom went to college for piano yeah. she
0: let me let me stop you right there. I think to continue this logically, can you kind of go over after you got diagnosed sort of the medicate the timeline with the medications you had to take whether they helped or not, and then, I guess, transition to your weight loss, and then how you finally fi- figured out whether you should take these medications or not?
1: Yeah, so me getting diagnosed was a very, like, long and tedious process. So the first per- person we went to was an osteochondral doctor, uh, and she pretty much uh, mainly treated teenagers that got injured in sports. So she signed me up for an MRI and I got my first ever MRI, just a normal MRI place. I can't hold my hand in a straightened position. So MRIs were very painful for me. So I had to cut it short. And basically they analyzed what they could out of it. And they found massive inflammation in both my right and left arm. So then that osteochondral doctor sent me to a rheumatoid arthritis doctor. And that was just kind of my main doctor from that point on. And he noticed that I have massive, a high sedimentation rate, a high C-reactive protein rate. I have massive inflammation in my right and left arm. So the first medications that he prescribed to me, and at that point, I should mention that I was a sophomore or and or junior in high school and I was two hundred forty pounds at five foot nine and sixteen years old, which is morbidly obese. My diet consisted of yeah. a lot of fast food, processed food, vaping, you know, things that, you know, just everything was basically toxic for me. I never ate a healthy meal. A salad always had dressing on it, you know. So at that point I was obese and the first uh, medication he prescribed to me was prednisone as well, which is, you know, it's an immunosuppressant drug. And that kind of calmed down my arthritis a little bit and he saw that it was working. But instead of continuing the prednisone, the first thing he did was he's like, okay, prednisone's working, let's bump you up to methotrexate. A methotrexate is a mild form of chemotherapy in a pill, pretty much. Mm-hmm. It's a mega immunosuppressant drug. So I got onto methotrexate, I was taking it once weekly, and then every other day that I wasn't taking methotrexate, I would take folic acid as a supplement. And pretty much, when I was on these drugs, I would have like a once a year massive sickness. It would usually come in November. (laughs) Yeah, I remember that. I would straight up be sick for a month. I remember I had the flu for a month. It was just like... 102 fever I couldn't breathe out of like my mouth or my nose yeah because
0: your immune system was pretty
1: much shot yeah because my immune system was so compromised and my lifestyle wasn't helping so I would take these drugs up until college sophomore year or no sorry freshman year and that's kind of like by that point I already started to lose weight Uh, I realized obviously that I was 240 pounds I needed to lose weight so I got onto like the standard bodybuilding bro like diet to lose weight yeah the bro
0: diet it's like one one tier above the standard american
1: diet it's slightly above in terms of you know like calories in calories out if it fits your macros i started tracking calories but the actual food you're eating is probably on the same it's the same food yeah it's basically sugar-free syrup super low fat high protein high high carb I was eating like only egg whites. I was eating sugar free syrups, Splenda and everything. I remember I would buy zero percent. What do you pack. mean? That's
0: the best part of the egg.
1: <laughs> I remember I would buy zero uh, percent Greek yogurt and the taste was so vile to yeah, me. Yeah, the the that's
0: the best part of the Greek yogurt too. <laughs> I, I used to put
1: four Splenda packets in the zero percent Greek yogurt so I could make it taste good and then I mix in. Uh, zero-calorie chocolate syrup, and zero-calorie maple syrup. So that got me down from 240. I wanted a strict, like, yo-yo diet, 1,500 calories a day. That got me down to 155 mm-hmm. pounds. But it wasn't – I'm 158 pounds right now. The 155 pounds I was at is not the same body composition I'm at right now. It was, like, yeah, I com- malnutritioned
0: 155, if that okay. makes sense. Okay, so basically in the timeline, right – this is where we're at right now. I'm on the Humira. You're on the methotrexate. We're both on bro bodybuilding type diets. And we both pretty much feel like shit, despite being on medication and despite the blood tests showing low inflammatory markers. So then I discovered, by the way, did you have anything else to add at the end of that story? Let's see. So I hit on uh, my diet. Yeah, so I
1: did try to wean off methotrexate freshman year uh, false mm-hmm. so I was 18 at the time and I, I reduced the dosage. So I was taking four capsules a week. I forget the exact dosage of it, but I tried to, I reduced it down to three and I was working fine at three. The second I tried to reduce it to two with the standard college diet, which everything is just fried in Pam canola oil. And <laughs> yeah, food, and even like the simple servings that my college has, it's just fried. In, and I'm still in college. I'm 20 years old. Um, it's mm-hmm. everything is fried in Pam safe said, you know, I don't eat that anymore. Uh, But when I did try to wean down to two capsules a week, I instantly felt like the inflammation come back up. So, yeah, like you said, we're at this point where you're on medication, I'm on medication. At this point, you found out about the vertical diet.
0: Yeah, that's what I wanted to transition to and sort of close this out without making it long winded. So I found out about Stan Efferding's vertical diet. The reason I found out about it is because, like I said, my stomach still hurt. I was still having diarrhea, digestive symptoms. I was like, I need a diet that's actually going to make my stomach not hurt. And this was the first time I even thought about diet, which is like, that's crazy to think because none of the doctors even mentioned it besides that one comment about sugar being bad. So I found a lot of people don't do these diets because every diet
1: that's not a standard American diet is a fad diet in their eyes.
0: They also think it's like an eating disorder. Yeah, God but sure. that yeah, we could do a whole episode about <laughs> that. Um, so I I find the vertical diet. I'm suspicious of it obviously because it's my first time like trying a diet, quote unquote. But I read the whole book. It's a very easy to read book, and I was like, okay, this makes a lot of sense. There's a ton of research. Why don't I just try this? I didn't really know anything, so I went on the vertical diet for, uh, one like to try to address my gut health, and two because it was by a powerlifter bodybuilder and i was still going to the gym so i do the vertical diet and it really doesn't make much of a change but i could see that i think in my subconscious i knew that it was just better than what i was eating but i was still eating out and eating all those toxins so essentially the change that needed to be made wasn't made because i was still introducing toxins to my system like leaky gut endotoxin etc Um, The more important thing is cutting out the toxins than putting in like good fuel. But anyway, that's that's kind of getting off topic.
1: I see a lot of people right now, especially in the gym community, they consume all these toxins and then they're like, got to make sure you're healthy. And they add on grass fed beef and stuff like that. When the point of getting yourself healthy is to cut out the toxins and keep good things, not add on the good things onto the toxins
0: yeah yeah exactly so I'm eating like half my diet vertical according to Stan Effering's book and then half my diet just like standard college campus food college downtown food burgers sliders chicken sandwiches literally everything even alcohol despite already having Crohn's disease uh, and then obviously it's not helping my brother also tries the vertical diet also not for like not strictly let me uh,
1: let me let me cut right in really quick. So this was mm-hmm. the end of my freshman year, sophomore semester, so I was about to go into summer. At that point I was on the brink of developing full blown IBS. My stomach was always in pain, <laughs> like it like hurt to like, you know, go to the bathroom, and get my bowel movements out. And I was like <laughs> and I had no choice in college because I, I, I lived on campus, I live off campus now. I couldn't cook any of my meals and I
0: had to eat. They the forced you to get food. IBS.
1: They went the college literally, and IBS is a huge thing in college. Every other girl in college has IBS, like just straight up. Yeah, I know. So the first time we got it, I, I, I tried the vertical diet. Was uh, it was actually winter between uh fall semester and sophomore semester. My brother and I would do mm-hmm. the vertical diet, but it, like to kind of like lay lay out the diet. It would but be. But we would get like vertical,
0: halal at night and stuff. Yeah,
1: it would be a vertical diet breakfast, vertical diet lunch. Vertical diet dinner sometimes, and then you know post post dinner dessert we would go to the local halal truck that's everything fried <laughs> in and get that yeah. at Three
0: in the morning, yeah, yeah.
1: So then, uh s- summer year that's when I found out about the animal based diet, and I told you about it. I actually told our current friends about it, and that's kind of when we went you know balls to the wall with our diets. Uh, we were very strict both of us that summer. And I think that summer and that
0: was I think something that's important to mention is you don't go strict with a diet. You don't stop eating out unless you're literally forced into it. And that's that's the point that after all this, that's the point that we both came to. Like we finally came to the realization that these symptoms are going to keep getting worse and worse unless we actually just take the hard pill to swallow and accept the light except like our life circumstance for what they are, we can't possibly be eating toxins. We have to be strict.
1: Yeah. The reason it's so hard for people to get on diet. One of the main reasons is because American food is first of all, it's convenient. And second of all, it's designed to be hyper palatable. They have whole boards for all these fast food chains and even fast casual chains on how to make food that is hyper palatable, soothing to eat. It's
0: soft food. I think that's another episode to be yeah. honest,
1: but yeah, uh, You know, we committed to this diet, which at first, you know, eating only, like, red meat and fruits and some starches, like, organic white rice or organic potato. It seemed Mm -hmm. off-putting, but now that's, like, I I honestly crave that more than I would ever crave something American, like a cheeseburger. Which, honestly, I can make on my own, but you you guys get the gist,
0: yeah. So, is there anything else? i think that's a good intro obviously we could go more in depth on a lot of stuff we receive a lot of messages from other people who have like crohn's other people who have arthritis we could go very in depth on everything we went through and sort of we we will go in depth in the future on our actual like healing timeline how long everything took exactly what you need to do because diet is not even close to being the only thing but i think think that's a brief intro
1: yeah and when you guys do send us messages on instagram or um just on anything, even Shopify contact form, we reply to all of them. Like, we both and have we asked- see all of them. Yeah, we see all of them. We reply to them very fast. And if you guys try our product, send us a message. We love seeing it too. This new new product we're launching soon is just amazing. It's gonna, you guys are gonna love it.
0: Yeah, and I'm getting all these episode ideas. Like, we our parents are immigrants, so they grew up eating organ meats and stuff. That's kind of. That's the, that's how we tried it to begin with i i like always saw mom and dad eating liver and i'm like all right it looks gross but one day i'm going to try it and i my first day trying it, it was it the taste your first time tasting liver is like it doesn't taste like anything else it tastes awful the first time <laughs> yeah.
1: i remember we would go to restaurants and they get uh shashlik or kebabs and they get veal yeah. liver which is honestly good it's literally just raw veal liver for like uh cooked over fire And I try, and I'm like, oh, God, because it's liver taste. Liver taste is super unique. I'm like, oh, but now if I were presented a veal liver kebab, I'd love it. I'd love every second. Veal liver
0: kebab is actually like, besides our actual liver crisps, that's probably the most palatable way to eat liver if you've never had it before.
1: Or pan. it's, It's contending with pan fried with onions.
0: It is, yeah. But I think those are all different episodes. That's a very brief, high-level intro. We still got to go low-level on all of our medical struggles and stuff and everything else. But yeah, Yeah. that's us. That's how we came to be. That's how we ended up where we are and why we started this business. Yeah, and we're going to spread the message. Real health. We're going to spread liver crisps. Indeed.
1: There's a lot more. Gym episodes, lifestyle episodes, toxin
0: episodes.
1: We'll get them all going. Q and q and A for sure. If you guys have, we have fun- a
0: huge backlog. We have like 60, 70 Q and A just about Crohn's disease. Yeah, a lot of Q and A about weight, Crohn's disease, arthritis, everything.
1: So we'll we'll pump them out. Hopefully once a week. No problem. Yeah. Sir. All right.
0: All right. Peace.